Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty Podcast. My name is Nathaniel Paul Thurston the first, and across from me is Charles Chuck Stuck, two tall, second tallest libertarian that we know of, Thompson. What's up today, man? How's your you Monday? You just said a bunch of random words, I think. I, I did, and it worked. Chuck Stuck, two tall Stuck, second tallest libertarian. I, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I, I know that you, um, earlier you were practicing some border patrol mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and something happened, but now you've got it fixed. And so can't get nothing past you. You can't. And sometimes you hold out people that belong even, you know, and honestly, that's on them for not doing the proper paperwork. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get any identification. Look, you got to okay? get the paperwork yeah. and you got to pay the right yeah, fees. Show me your papers. <laughs> yeah. You can get inside of Nate's. Nate's wall. I saw somebody uh, the other day was talking about how they can't wait. They were they were finally joined Patreon as we've been telling them to do. They finally did it, and they were like, "Look, they're really looking forward to the pool party at your house coming up this summer. It's going to be good." BYOP. So, I'm really yeah. I'm really pumped about it too. Well, this is the Good Morning Liberty podcast. We talk life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning, not happiness. We talk about the pursuit of meaning because happiness is just this random emotion that you feel from time to time. And if you base your life on trying to feel happiness all the time, well, you might as well just start doing drugs or something because that's how you're just going to feel happiness at specific times. What we focus on is finding meaning in your life, which we find through trading stonks, uh, adding to healthcare expenses uh, through the other business and, uh, and doing this podcast, which helps us find meaning <laughs> as well. Are you still fighting about whether or not you're a blatant racist, Charlie? No, no. This yeah. The next one down is... <laughs> oh, I see that. Yeah. So it's like one of the live group people said, it's like Ben Franklin once said, I'd rather kick out 100 Patreon subscribers than one, let one freeloader in. <laughs> now, the time where I kick someone out, I don't... Oh. Uh, here comes the excuses. I, here we go. I don't manage the Discord for uh, the Patreon. Oh, uh, okay. Patreon manages that. Okay. Even, even if I extend privileges to See, someone. Look, when you when you thwart your responsibility mm -hmm. and you thrust mm -hmm. it off onto someone else. Yeah. And then you just you're the victim, Nate. I am clearly the victim here. You're and a victim I think that's of obvious. Patreon bots. That's that is what it is. Um, well, let's get going. You know, I just noticed that the SD card is about full. Oh, great this thing. Yeah. So that's awesome. Should we uh, pause real quick? That's really good. Talk to everyone live about something real quick. And, um, you know, we'll just pull the audio from the video today. It'll be fine. OK, the audio quality won't be as good today, but here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to get over it and then just look and just listen yeah. to something else if you don't like yeah. it. That's uh, that's basically it. Yeah. Our product's going to suffer today because because yeah. we can. Yeah. And so hopefully this is not your first time listening. If it is, tomorrow's going to be better. Maybe. <laughs> we'll right. see. We'll see. Okay. Here's first up on the block. <laughs> first story. Now, we try to not just pull articles from fee.org every single day, but this one was so darn good, I had to go ahead and mention it. 40% of small business owners are having trouble filing finding job openings filing job openings they can't find people to to replace all the people who left their job roles about a year ago fi filling filling how many l's are in here yeah. is there one or two l's you said filing but i know yeah the and job openings have been filed 
They filed the job openings, but no one will come work there. Here's why. No one will fill them. A whopping 40% of small business owners were unable to file job, (laughs) (laughs) fill job openings last month. A seven-point increase from January. Ooh. This finding comes from a new report by the NFIB, which is a small business advocacy group. The inability to fill jobs comes in spite of the fact that 25% of small businesses increased compensation during the same period. So a quarter of the small businesses have raised their wages during this time, and half of them can't find people to work. I wonder why this would happen. I have no idea. I can't think of a single reason why it would be tough to get people to work right now Mm. instead of staying at home. Hmm. Employers are feeling the crunch with 24% claiming labor quality is their top business problem. So the workers suck. Another 51% reported few or or no qualified applicants for the positions they sought to fill. A statistic made all the more troubling as economists predict millions of new jobs by the end of the year. But they can't get people to fill them. What? Mm. What? So crazy. These findings are shocking given the current unemployment numbers in the country, which are hovering somewhere between 10 and 18 million people out of work. By the way, the government doesn't exactly know how many people are out of work. It's somewhere between 10 and 18 million. It's between a number or give or or take a billion. It's between a number (laughs) or 80% higher than that number. Yeah. Either one of those. Yeah. All right. Well, they'll find one somewhere around there. (laughs) So where are the workers? There's several factors that could influence the hesitation to return to the office. Now, the uh, return to the office is probably not a great way to say it because a lot of people who work in offices didn't exactly lose their jobs. They probably moved to work from home, but you guys get the idea. The long delayed reopening of schools has placed a tremendous burden on families. Except for federal families. Yeah, true. (laughs) The lack of child care has been especially harmful for working women. Globally, women have lost their jobs during the pandemic at a rate 1.8 times greater than men and are unlikely to return to work until child care is available. Why would people not be able to find child care right now? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Who normally takes care of your children during the day? Someone else that you pay for? Maybe? I don't know. Something that you're currently paying for? Kids are so expensive. They are expensive. By the oh. way, I have to say, I spent my weekend playing with my nieces and nephews. My my brother-in-law has four kids. And hats off to everyone who's got kids. Because I can barely move today. I'm insanely tired. I feel like all I did was run a marathon yeah. all weekend. Those those kids, they've got energy. And it just keeps going. Now imagine not being able to leave them. I know. That's why I don't have kids. Yeah. Because yeah, I want to be able to leave them. And that's it's that's another, frowned upon these days. It's another full-time job. Yeah. All things considered, the federal government's increase in extension of jobless benefits is likely playing an outsized role in the decision many Americans are making to stay home. That's but just racist. That's, <laughs> that's an obvious racist statement right yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Come on, Fee. Prior to the pandemic, the average person on unemployment received $378 per week. Most states offered these benefits for a period of 26 weeks or less. But in response to the lockdowns that the government implemented, Congress passed relief packages in 2020 that expanded those numbers. At the height of the pandemic, individuals were paid $600 a week by the federal government, giving the average collector a weekly rate of $978 for an extended period of 39 weeks. It's like a 220% increase. Good grief. (laughs) Woo! The country is clearly on the other side of the crisis. Millions are being vaccinated. Case numbers and hospitalizations are both down. And we know the disease is not nearly as deadly as we once feared. 
If anything, now this is <clears throat> this is pretty. This is all pretty racist here, from what I'm hearing. They mm-hmm. don't care about. They don't care about people dying from the pandemic. If anything, workers should be encouraged to return to the market and begin the process of rebuilding their economy. Unfortunately, Congress went in the opposite direction. Last week, passing a new stimulus package that renewed and extended unemployment benefits. And now people are getting three to four hundred dollars in additional additional federal dollars that's on top of your state dollars. All right. All of these increases have created an environment where many on unemployment receive more money to stay home than ever earned in the workplace, creating an obvious incentive for people to stay on unemployment. And you know, I I know I mean, people go through different life circumstances, but I know people that are making more money right now that are unemployed, that are making more money from the unemployment than they were making when they were employed. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be true because I know someone who's, who's, who's doing it. Ironically, we've seen the government's response to unemployment actually create prolonged unemployment. Weird. Mm, isn't that weird? This is a poignant example of what happens when policymakers focus on the scene but overlook the unseen secondary effects. A critique first identified by French economist Frédéric Bastiat. Quote, a law produces not only one effect, but a series of effects, Bastiat wrote. Of these effects, the first alone is immediate. It appears simultaneously with its cause. It is seen. The other effects emerge only subsequently. They are not seen. Quote, there is only one difference between a good economist and a bad one. The bad economist confines himself to the visible effect. The good economist takes into account both the effect that can be seen and those which must be foreseen. He concluded. This is, I mean, this is clearly obvious what's going on right now. Yeah. And this is an, this is an issue. This is actually a way to drive up wages and therefore cost of everything by what they're doing right now. Because businesses, they already said a quarter of the small businesses have raised their wages during the pandemic. They're going to have to continue raising their wages to try and entice people off of the federal unemployment. Mm-hmm. And so you're, how we have this conversation with universal basic income, with welfare in general. How much is a business going to have to pay someone to get them to weigh the benefits of sitting on the couch and collecting a certain amount of money versus actually having to work all day and collecting the same amount, 10% more, 20% more? At what point do you actually consider getting off the couch and going and working? Mm-hmm. It's going to be more than the same amount. It's going to have to be more than that. But it's not even just a little bit more of that because you're going to say, well, I don't know. Even though I'm, paying a l- even though I'm making a little bit less, I do get to watch whatever I want on TV all day. And I'm number five in the world now in FIFA Cup. I could maybe hit number one. <laughs> I've been, well, that's my, been, yeah. my, been my goal the whole time for somebody to pay me to play FIFA Cup. <laughs> By golly, I've been kicking balls all over the place. Isn't that what this is all about? <laughs> Whether or not you're getting better at your FIFA cup. Yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. That's what it is. You know, people do this all the time, right? You see couples nowadays, you run the cost-benefit analysis based on what you want to do. Uh, for for instance, child care. If you've got three kids, right? you got three kids, you're going to be paying in between. You're going to be paying in between like a dollar and a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Anywhere between there. <laughs> Anywhere between there. Yeah. Yeah. No, but typically if you've got three kids, you're probably play- paying somewhere around, I would say 30 to $60,000 on average for childcare. Okay. Cause literally, cause average out here in Tennessee, I know what I pay for my son to go to school. It's a lot. And, um, so for one kid, so anywhere between that, 
you know, ten to $15,000 mark for one kid. So times that by three couples do this all the time. It's like, okay, well, does it make more sense? Is it going to cost us more money? You know, your, your wife would have to have a job or your husband, either way, whoever decides to stay home with the kids would have to have a job that makes a significantly more than that for it to make sense for you to spend that entire income towards childcare to have some left over. Mm-hmm. And so people, people do this all the time. So you're going to look at this and say, okay, I can literally stay home and do whatever I want. And I'm going to make more money or around the same amount of money, or maybe just a little bit less money, but I can still do everything I want. It's like, what? It's the obvious choice. And and like you said, people have been making that calculation for a long time. You know, how much more money do I have to make to pay for what we're going to pay for all the child expenses? Like, I'll just stay home and take care of the kid. Mm-hmm. That's what people are doing right now with the unemployment. How much more money do I have to make to make it worthwhile for me to not to be able to catch up on the all six seasons of Lost right now? Yeah. Well, I think I'll stay home. I think, you know, I'm just going to stay home right now. This is obvious stuff, y'all. For some people. For some people, this is obvious. But what what actually happens is you're like, well, but don't you think that we should take care of people during this? So you, what, you, you just want people to starve to death? That's a libertarian utopia. People are just going to starve to death on the streets? Yeah. No. And in and, and our libertarian utopia, people who want to receive value from other people are going to have to provide value to other people. And by the way, Bernie found out that's how it works on the commune also. Yeah. If you're not providing value, you'll get kicked out. <laughs> that's... Just ask Bernie. Yeah. That's how it works. Just ask Bernie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's another good website idea. (laughs) Just ask Bernie. Just ask Bernie how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. This whole, um, you know, Milton Friedman put it a good way too. It's like, you have to judge the policies based on what actually happens. Not the, not the, uh, into it, not uh, intentions, intention, not the intention of the policy, but what the actual outcome of those policies enacted are as such. You have to look at that. Say, look at this. You can say that a few times if you want to. And look say, at look that. at this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can. But then you actually have to analyze it and be like, okay, well, what's actually happening here? But no one wants to do that. It's, it's this, it's this, like, as you mentioned, it's this emotional response where, oh my God, people can't work. The people are going to be, we have, we have to give them money. What's going to happen if we don't give them money? And then if you give them money, it's like, um, anybody have family members that, you know, they want you to give them money mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're like, this will be the last time I ask. I promise I'm not going to not going to ask for any more money. And then they ask for more money because like, you gave it to him last time. Yeah, this is yeah. the last time. So like every time that you're in a pinch or a bind or whatever, you're always asking. Now, this isn't it's not always the case. But I'm just saying in a large part, you see that happen all the time. And the issue is when we see the outcomes, because you're talking about Milton Friedman's quote. Um, not judging based on intentions, but on the outcomes. People don't even see the outcomes as what the actual outcomes are anymore. Because you could show this article, you could say people are having a hard time hiring people. And those on the left will just say, well, that's because they're not offering enough money. It's because people are too greedy and their wages are too low. And those businesses that are just trying to entice people, you know, and pay them $11 an hour, well, they're just, they shouldn't even be in business anyway. Why should someone take that job? They should stay on unemployment instead of taking a job that pays them that much because it's wrong for them to work for that amount of money. Mm-hmm. So even when you do have the clear outcomes, everyone's judging it completely on a different scale now 
It's it's the same thing. Think about Obamacare raising the price of insurance and all that. Well, it wasn't Obamacare's fault. It was the greedy insurance company's fault. Mm-hmm. Look at what happened in Venezuela. It wasn't the it wasn't socialism's fault. It was because the evil greedy companies left the country and they just left everyone high and dry. That's what it was. So you still find a way to blame this on whatever cause you want it to be, and that's the that's the very unfortunate part. There's here. always some excuse. Yeah. Yeah. All right, on to uh, Illinois. Mm. Illinois is doing a bunch of crazy stuff. Right. They've got plenty of money, so they can do course. whatever they want. Illinois city prepares first round of reparations to black residents, but activists say it's not enough. <laughs> not it, enough? It'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. This coming from the blaze. Thanks, Glenn. A Chicago suburb is slated to become the first American city to offer reparations to their black residents, but now some activists are saying the city's plans do not go far enough to pay for the past racial transgressions. Evanston, Illinois, a city about 12 miles north of downtown Chicago, approved a plan in 2019 to financially compensate its black residents to address the wealth and opportunity gaps that have that they have experienced because of historical racism and discrimination. The city plans to pay for reparation payments using tax revenue collected from sales of recreational marijuana. <laughs> Evanston pledged to spend $10 million on reparations over a 10-year period. What's that? That's a million dollars a year, folks. City leaders recently Hold unveiled... On. Just checking your math on that. I got the same thing. Okay, good. All right. City leaders recently unveiled plans for the restorative housing reparations, the first round of reparations payments. According to a local program, it would distribute up to $25,000 for housing per eligible resident. To qualify for Evanston's reparations program, black residents must have either lived in Evanston between 1919 and 1969 and suffered from housing discrimination or be a direct descendant of someone who did. Okay. How do you, how do you, how do you know that? They're going to go back in your uh, tax records, your property tax records, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to not say maybe you might have to provide identification when you do this. No. You might have to provide an ID. That's racist. I I know. Mm-hmm. How are they going to prove who these people are? You should just give money to them. <laughs> it's crazy. The community activists who spoke to this local station said the reparation plans don't go nearly far enough. Number one, they said reparations are meant to close the racial wealth gap. The program that the city of Evanston is offering does not do that. Kevin Brown said, this housing program is not what reparations mean. It's not all inclusive. An organizer for the Evanston rejects. Oh, an organizer for the Evanston rejects racist reparations. So they they started a group. They have a group that rejects racist reparations. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Another one here. All right. Just putting money into a loan is not true reparations. Uh, Evanston fight for black lives uh, said. So what is then? What's a true reparation? That's it. They want that cold, hard cash. Money. They also accept Bitcoin. <laughs> or Bitcoin. <Yeah. laughs> Bitcoin. Any type of financial transaction is fine. Now accepting yeah. Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I say, you know, they, they each probably deserve 10 Bitcoin. It just there's what they're saying. There's an issue here with understanding. Uh, first, I, you know, I, I hate talking about it because I don't agree with any of it. And so I'm not trying to come up with a better way to do this or defending what they're doing or anything like that. I don't think we should be doing any of it. And we can have that conversation. But um, 
upset that this is meant to close the racial wealth gap. And there seems to be a large disconnect between how to close that gap and like what would actually do that. Because one of the largest reasons that there is a gap is because of home ownership. And that is why they're going with home ownership and helping $25,000 per resident, helping pay for housing and things like that. I don't know if that's actually going to go towards home ownership or not. But it is money directed towards a specific problem. They just want cold, hard cash mm-hmm. instead, or Bitcoin, like you said. Yeah. But there seems to be a really big disconnect there. Like a reason that people build wealth over time is by gaining assets, you know, and transferring that to their rich children and then their children mm-hmm. have it. And that's how they have a leg up or whatever the old folklore is. I'm not really sure. Um, but the idea that this wouldn't be a good thing to do because it doesn't help close the wealth gap means that you really don't understand how people build wealth over time. Not that homeownership is the best way to do that, but it just seems like there's a really big misunderstanding in building wealth versus just giving someone wealth. And that's why we might be partially here in the first place, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you also have to look at everything else that's Mm -hmm. taken place to, to hold black people back. You know, it's it's the very policies that they advocate for. Yeah, like it's because, a slightly ironic. They're going to use money from marijuana sales to help pay for this. Yeah. The the drug war <laughs> actually put a lot of people in prison, in, in prison and yeah. in this terrible place. And of course, they're going to use marijuana sales, which, you know, I just don't think there should be any. I don't I don't think you can make a, a libertarian case for reparations, in my opinion. You can't. Then this next one, this next line at the end of the line here, when it's all said and done, however, much money is raised for reparations will only be a drop in the bucket for the suffering and the oppression that black people experienced in this nation. Neighbors said there's no, there's no amount of money in the world. Is he talking about Bitcoin too, or just, I guess we'll say all financial means. Yeah. There is no amount of money in the world that can take the place of the pain and suffering that was caused emotionally. That was caused psychologically. Well then let's not do so it. Then the answer is you're right. It will actually never be enough. It won't. Cause there actually, there is no monetary number that you can put on the pain and suffering. And that's probably true. I mean, look, it's not that it's not like slavery did not cause a lot of pain and suffering. It absolutely did. Uh, I, I I don't disagree with that whatsoever, but if if we're in the business of solving problems, how does one propose to actually solve that problem for crimes, for moral humanity crimes that were committed several hundred years ago, of which most people, well, besides, besides what happened until the civil rights movement, I guess, but most people that weren't alive, you know, participated in. Like what do you what do you do? Did you see they sent a ninety four year old German guy to prison uh, for four years? I saw that. Didn't see that. <clears throat> um, Was that a life sentence? Probably. <laughs> okay. I just <laughs> I just I you know if you're if if you're actually going to solve the problem, well, what actually what actually helps p- people? You know, as you mentioned, like okay, is homes is home ownership a large gap in the black community versus other communities? And if it is, why is, how is this not helping? If it is, if it isn't, if if it is a solution, why would this not be a solution? Is it ever going to be enough? The answer to that's no, we know that. And so then, then what, what do you do? You burn the place down. 
I know that that's literally the only option. <laughs> that's the yeah, that's the logical conclusion that that ideology leads to. So you burn the place down. So yeah, there there's no there's no room for reparations. What we need to do is give people the freaking freedom and liberty to build their wealth. Yeah. Stop holding them back. That's stop putting them on unemployment it, and the government dole. Give them all kinds of reasons not to actually build wealth, but just to live a mediocre life. Like, you know, $900 a week isn't terrible. It's not the best. What can you do with $900 a week? Could, uh, you could buy a lot of stocks with that. Well, that's what you should be doing. <laughs> I just, uh, uh, back on the uh, uh, reparations overall, we've had some good conversations about it before. Um, I I know that they're, like you were saying, Charlie, there's terrible atrocities that were committed in the past, and you can't deny that those things were committed you can't deny that there are even generations that are still, if you were to go back through history, are in a worse position right now than they otherwise would be due to some type of racist policy. We can absolutely make the case that that, that is happening or, or that it has happened. But I cannot make the case that that my wages or that Charlie's wages or my mom's wages or Charlie's mom's wages should be taken away from them to pay for crimes that were committed by people that look like them. It sounds racist yeah. to me. Like, oh, you're... Well, you in large part, crimes committed by government. Yeah, it was all <laughs> enforced by government. But there's no good argument that you can make to say that just because I happen to be white means that I should have to pay for people who happen to have the same skin color as me and what they did 100 or 200 years ago. That's, uh, that's racist. I will say, though, a sales tax is a pretty fair mm. way to do that because it's not just white people buying marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you know, the only way you pay the tax is if you buy the good and it's not a good that you have to have. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, to use that kind of money, I don't think that's a bad deal, so to speak. I think that's the best way to do it rather than directly taking someone's uh, wealth from I, them. I do agree that that's better than like an income tax or an estate tax or something yeah. like that. I, I definitely agree with that. But still, if the government's going to be taking part of my money when I try to do a transaction with someone, I, I still think that that needs to go towards something that uh, is going to also benefit me evenly because it is still taking my money when I need to get a product. But yeah, more fair if it's a sales tax than, a, than an income tax. I can get you, down with that. You want to know what else <clears throat> Illinois is doing? Since we're on the subject of Illinois before we move on here. What are they doing? I saw uh, John Hiller. I believe he's I believe he's still a Patreon member. Long supporter. Long time supporter of the show. I saw him post the... Uh, because uh, he lives in Illinois still. Uh, they are... Uh, they introduced a bill that would give the politicians the same rights as law enforcement officers to arrest people and detain them. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. To be keepers of the peace. Hmm. It's just now they're using an, an old provision from Chicago City Council because apparently uh, or the alderman, the Chicago alderman, because apparently since 1840 or something like that, Chicago aldermen have had that ability have have had the power to arrest people and detain them and and all that kind of stuff. Basically, the same powers as law enforcement to, ca to carry concealed or an unconcealed. And so they want to use what the Chicago aldermen do. They want to they want to do that statewide. This is the best way to get people behind the whole defund the police movement. I'll yeah. tell you that. <laughs> but also think about this: it's a like it just reminds me of a book. 
you know, and then the politicians became the keepers of the peace. <laughs> True. Like, could you, That's just the next Im- evolution. Exactly. Yeah, you're just right. Just imagine yeah. for a second, you just arrest people that disagree with you politically, you know, detain them. They're on the campaign trail. You just detain them. Yeah. Like, oh, what, what law did he break? Oh, several, several. We're going to have to prove it in court, but we're going to have to hold them there until we can go to trial. Yeah. Well, the election's next week. What's what? What can he? You know, can you vote for this guy? Oh no, probably not. Probably not. Probably can't vote for him. It's um, just—it's crazy. Staying, uh, staying on the race lines here. Um, you know this George Floyd thing's going on. The you know they're they're trying to put Derek Chauvin you know in prison for killing George. Oh Floyd, yeah, we covered right? that last. You know, last so trying week, to bring his killer to justice right mm-hmm. now little Derek Chauvin trial action going on. I don't know how you actually say his last name. I saw something ridiculous, and I don't even have to go through the article. Chauvin. Ch- Chauvin. Ch- Chauvin. Ch- Chauvin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Jobin. Jobin. Derek Jobin. Okay. Exactly. So here's the idea. Because... because oh, well, you have to say where this article's from, because that's, that's just impeccable news source here. This article now. This is a, a blog, obviously, but uh, it was it was going around Twitter to the to the thousands and thousands of retweets. Of course, so it's called "Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter" at the center of the jury questionnaire, and it comes from UnicornRiot.com. <laughs> UnicornRiot.ninja. That's right. <laughs> is what it's from. Okay, so here's the idea. They're asking pretty normal jury selection questions when they're going through this. And one of a couple of the questions are, uh, are you sympathetic to the Black Lives Matter movement? Are you sympathetic? What are your feelings on the Black Lives Matter movement? What are your feelings on Blue Lives Matter movement? Okay. And people are getting very upset about this because if you're supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement, then you might not be able to get picked for the jury. In fact, they've seen that a few times. So I'll go through some of this. As jury selection ensues live on television and social media, we're all getting an instant look at random survey results of the general public's views on social issues, something that was intentionally designed by the prosecution and defense. I didn't realize this was going on live. This is the Minnesota's first live court trial. Hmm. Great idea. The the jury questionnaire broken up into six parts includes a total of 69 questions. Two of them have provided a center basis for questioning. How favorable, favorable or unfavorable are you to Black Lives Matter? or to Blue Lives Matter. Although jury questionnaires for murder trials can be tailored trial by trial, many legal experts say they haven't seen questions this polarizing. A potential juror was not selected after admitting their wife attended the protest. Another was sent home for having strong views on social justice issues. Meanwhile, multiple jurors were selected with close relationships to law enforcement including one juror whose friend worked for the Minneapolis Police Department. Now that, I would agree, is not a good jury selection right there. Mm. I, I would also disagree with that. Quote, Black people are not going to be able to get on this jury. Not honest black people. It's a bunch of Uncle Toms. <laughs> yeah. At the time, let's see, six jurors have been selected. Three Caucasians, one Latinx, which is not a real word. Another being an African immigrant. And a woman from northern Minnesota who some say appeared to be biracial. (laughs) Now we're going to start using that. Okay, I would just want to give you a little bit of actual personal history on jury selection here. My wife was selected for a murder trial here in Nashville. She was on the jury Mm -hmm. all the way until conviction. And I'll just tell you some of the questions that they were asked. This was a, a murder where someone in the music industry 
had been killed by a bar owner, someone who was also close to a lot of people in the music industry. Uh, it, it, you know, made the news, and um, essentially, it was, it was a murder. It claimed self-defense, so the guy was shot in the back of the head uh, from the other side of the room, several shots towards him, and hit him in the back of the head from 20, 30 feet away in the room. The guy didn't have a gun that was killed. But it was still argued as self-defense. Mm -hmm. So anyway, some of the questions that my wife had to answer were whether or not uh, she believed in Second Amendment rights. Or whether or not she knew anyone in the music industry. At the time, she wasn't my wife. Her last name was Shelton. She was asked if she was related to Blake Shelton because he's in the music industry. Mm. There were all these questions that pertain to whether or not she would have any bias over this person who was in the music industry that was murdered whether or not she'd have any bias when it came down to the actual verdict. This is absolutely normal that people do this. Yes. Completely normal. Because, you know... And it's done by the lawyers. Yeah, it is. And this has On to, both sides, by the way. Defense but, and prosecution. Of course. If they find someone who's been posting Blue Lives Matter or who is a big Trump supporter or, or whatever, they're going to try to knock that person off the jury, too. And you have to do that kind of thing. And this is why the jury selection is going to be very difficult on this trial. It's going to be very likely for appeals to not being able to get a fair trial because everyone's seen the video. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got some type of an opinion. And absolutely, if you have ever posted something having to do with George Floyd or the Black Lives Matter riots from 2020, if they find out about that after the conviction, after the conviction they will overturn the conviction. Absolutely. One of the greatest things about doing this show is we probably never will be selected for a jury. No, no, not one <laughs> bit. It is not possible. And so this is this is how it should actually be. They ask you the question like, yes, yeah, there actually know everything there is to know about yeah, that. Yeah. Yep. I would be. You could listen to podcast episode number 387. We covered that, sir. I, I just think if you uh, it, if you've got opinions already on the matter, then you shouldn't be put into the jury. I don't think that there's a good I don't. This is going to be a tough one, okay? This is going to be really tough. But if you find people that might have biases, you shouldn't want them in the jury. I wouldn't want them in my jury if they have biases against libertarians or, right. or whites or anything like yeah. that. I wouldn't want anyone that had those kind of biases in, in my trial. And you have to, even with the most terrible, egregious things like a murder trial, and you have video of the person doing it, like you know that they that that they did it you still want the most fair trial that you can possibly get i would make i would be the holdout in all of these juries mm -hmm. i'm almost always not guilty i'm sorry no circumstantial evidence for me i can't do it there's reason tell a fancy if, story if it's circumstantial there's a reasonable doubt in my opinion so i would be terrible on this but um show I, me the cold hard proof yeah i need proof and i'm sorry if you actually get away from uh if if, if if there's not a picture and a witness, and a signed witness testimony, <laughs> actually witnesses are terrible too right. for trials. Yeah, I don't know why you're you saying that. DNA, DNA fingerprints, mm -hmm. needs to be in front of a crowd of people on video with pictures and you posting earlier that you were going to do it, then I could probably find you guilty. But honestly, I'm, I'm not guilty most of the time. I won't even take a confession. It's <laughs> probably coerced. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I would definitely be a hung jury person too as well. Yeah. I, and I would want to teach all the other jurors <laughs> <laughs> I why would, there's reasonable doubt. I would create, I would create a hung jury every time mistrial, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. And even in this case where everyone's got strong opinions on the Derek 
Chauvin case, um, you still want there to be the most fair jury that you could possibly get. And if even if it's not because you want to make sure he gets the best defense or he gets away with it or whatever, it should be because you don't want there to be an obvious appeal where he then gets let out later. Like if you still want him to be convicted, a, a little social media post about Black Lives Matter, about George Floyd, it's going to get the conviction overturned mm-hmm. every every time, every single time, every time it's going to get overturned. So any anyhow, that's all I have to say about that. Mm-mm. That's all he's got to say about that, folks. Yeah. Um. I agree. I, I mean, this is going to be this is going to be an entire sorry, mom, shit show. Oh yeah, especially since it's live, yeah. and they know that it's going to cause all kinds of things. That's why they. I bet the premium on advertising during this is going Ooh. way up. Oh yeah, way up. Mm. The networks are going to cash in on this right here. I wonder what they're going to do with the money. I don't know. Housing probably pocket it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to go to the rich and wealthy. Do you want to go to the um, the next? covid spending thing or do you want to do i didn't i didn't brief you on the next article but uh you can read through it if you want oh to. yeah let's do this okay or oh. I'll, or i'll just do it real quick either one the covid we can skip down to covid okay you can do that all right this coming from fee um this is just another example of how much the government doesn't do for you federal covid spending just hit for almost forty two thousand dollars per taxpayer Ugh. Did you see that much in benefit? No. President Biden just signed this sweeping $1.9 trillion spending package into law. Once this bill hits the books, total taxpayer expenditure on COVID relief will hit $6 trillion, which roughly estimated comes out to almost $42,000 in spending per federal taxpayer. So if you're a taxpayer, that's so much. Did you see anywhere near that much in benefit? The sheer immensity of the spending is hard to grasp. For context, $6 trillion is more than one-fourth of what the U.S. economy produces an entire year. According to Fox Business, the COVID spending blowout is at least eight times bigger than the uh, inflation-adjusted price tag of FDR's New Deal. Eight times bigger. What we spent on COVID. Moreover, the COVID spending bills have uh, all lost huge sums of money to unrelated carve-outs politician pet projects, corporate bailouts, fraud, waste, and worse. In the, le- in the latest $1.9 trillion package, more than 90% of the spending is not directly related to containing to COVID-19. Only 1% of the money, about 15 to $20 billion, is spent on vaccines. Meanwhile, hundreds of billions go into bailing out poorly managed state government's budget holes that predate the, p- the pandemic, and $86 billion rescues failing pension plans. Meanwhile, billions more go to Obamacare expansion and subsidizing public schools long after the pandemic. It's just, we've gone over this several times, but this just brings it into perspective. It's a nice, a really nice job by fee to break it down that each one of you have roughly put in $42,000 and what have you got in return? That's what have you received in return? Your mom would be set mad if I said, what have you got? (laughs) What what have you received? (laughs) Did you receive $42,000 worth of value from all of this? And this is really a good, this is a good thing to ask for all things that the government spends money on. Do you ever receive the value back? And the answer most of the time is, is no, it's actually no. Now, one thing I don't want to hop on with this, Charles, is the idea that it would have been better 
for everyone to receive the full 42,000. I do think that, that if you're going to do this, uh, I, I, man, I hate the bailouts altogether. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can we just say that? Yes. I don't think there need, I don't think we could do any of it because we don't have any money. All right. But what the Scandinavian countries did, if you look at something like what Denmark did, which they did do their money essentially as corporate bailouts, where they allowed everyone to stay on the rolls as a worker, even though that they weren't going to work. So that way you would still be an employee somewhere. Most of the money went to businesses so they could keep people as workers and they allowed people to keep paying them as workers. That way, when everything was over, they would still be workers at the business instead of the huge mess that we have right now. And we can't. They would be drawn unemployment checks. Yeah. And wanting to stay on unemployment. This is different. We did it way different. We pushed people out of the workforce and then are just giving them general unemployment checks. And we gave money to certain businesses and let a lot of small businesses fail, of course. And we gave a little bit of money to the people. I think we did it completely wrong. I think that the way that, that Denmark did it was, was a lot better. But we can't do that in the U.S. Because we're conditioned to call that a corporate bailout. So, so we can't do that. But it was by far a better way to do this, in my opinion. Especially since the government forced the businesses to close. Yeah. 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 And so that's where you know, we differ from a lot of libertarians. Where I don't just want to dog on corporate bailouts in, the, in these things. Because I don't think it would be better that everyone received all of that money because mm-hmm. then you're talking massive, massive inflation and everything. You might as well be making an argument that the best thing to do would be a UBI instead of putting the money towards the productive side of the economy and actually letting the production kind of keep pace with what the inflation is going to end up doing with the little amount of money that people were sent. Um, I think it would be much worse if everyone would have been sent the entire amount of money and what would have actually been better is if we just didn't do it and we didn't shut down the economy. That's what I would have picked. Yeah, actually, that's what. Yeah, that's yeah. what I would have picked too. <laughs> so you know, I would have. I what I would have picked is <laughs> is letting people decide for themselves whether or not they want to risk it. Letting businesses decide whether or not they wanted to close down for the safety of their customers, because I guarantee you, a lot of businesses still would have done that. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, they they're looking at fifty hundred years from now, making sure their business can still thrive. And so what if they, if they earmark a few billion dollar loss for a couple of years? They can write that off on their taxes for the next 20 years. Now, some of them would have gone out of business still, but still, you should, we should make, the government should have made recommendations. And you see the CDC changed it up all the time. It went from uh, wear a mask, uh, don't wear a mask, it's not going to help you. Uh, wear a bandana if you got them, put a sock over your nose. And... Uh, Wear a couple sweatshirts, they, CDC, I think is what they said. CDC just put out a recommendation that even two-year-olds in school that go back to school should wear masks, even if all of the teachers and administration have all been vaccinated, that even two-year-olds should, should, wear, should wear masks when they're mm-hmm. around. Yeah. I mean, who actually thinks that's going to happen? Yeah. And you guys they, ever been around a two-year-old? And they sold it to you, by the way, as, uh, as shutting everything down for two weeks to flatten the curve. Which uh, comes up tomorrow, by the way. Yeah. A year, officially. (laughs) A year and two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) No, a year is... Tomorrow is the date that the the White House released their plan for two weeks to flatten, or 15 days to slow the spread. That's tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to talk about that. Yeah. We're still still slowing the spread, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) 
But anyway, it you know we're kind of beaten. We've kind of beat you know the dead cow a yeah. few times on this. We beat but, this cow to horse. But put that in perspective and think about you know what the hell are they doing? You know, in here it says the math doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. And I mm-hmm. definitely you know if you look at the first one, there was foreign aid. I think there was foreign aid in this one. Like what the hell does that have to do with anything that's going on in our economy at all? What whatsoever? What does bailing out the union's failed pension funds have to do yeah. with helping COVID? What does subsidizing public schools for the next hundred years have to do with <laughs> They got money until twenty twenty eight in this bill. They can't spend the money fast enough. There's nothing to spend it on. <laughs> We're gonna be spending fifty thousand dollars per student here soon. Yeah. <laughs> Still insane. coming in twentieth in the world. It's absolutely uh, insane. And then just for a little bit of ridiculousness, this article kind of pissed me off just a little bit. But if I, I'll tell you what, if I were, now I know, I'm going to white explain this article. I'm going to white explain it real hard. Because you're white. Because I'm white. And that's the only thing I can. I can only white mansplain things. That's it. That's, that's all, all I can, can do. do. Um, but this article would really, would really piss me off if I, if I weren't a white man. Okay. Because it still makes me mad. All right. This comes from the Washington Post. And it's talking about... Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff Bezos, (laughs) for sending this out. Yeah. They're talking about Tim Scott, who's a senator from South Carolina. I don't know if you know this, but a black man, Republican from South Carolina. We can't talk about that. All right. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, insane person from Georgia, but also a Republican woman, and Lauren Boebert also. Listen, some of these people aren't exactly the brightest tools in the shed. Tim Scott seems okay. All right, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a trumpian for me, but this is what they want to talk about. Diversity matters, but actions and values matter just as much. Because here's what they have to tackle. Republicans are finding that oh hey, or people are starting to find that you know what? There are actually Republicans that aren't just rich white men. And this doesn't fit the narrative at all. What, there's women? There, there's, there's black, black women? Black people that are Republicans? What? The, one of the greatest economies, economists of our entire existence, Thomas Sowell, <laughs> happens to be black, which he hates when people say that. Dr. Walter Williams out there, what? The we late, can't have this. The late great. The late great Walter Williams, we can't have this. That's all the black the backlash I received when people were like, <laughs> "You can't have an opinion on Black Lives Matter until you read an actual PhD published author." And I said, "Okay, <laughs> well, what about a P- I'm sorry, PhD published black author?" Mm. I was like, "Oh, okay, okay, I got two for you, <laughs> two of them: Walter E. Williams, Thomas Sowell, and." The- I received a bunch of back, black, uh, backlash. Blacklash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a bunch yeah. of blacklash. <laughs> <laughs> I received a bunch of backlash on that. Like, oh, what, you just coming up with the two, you know, PhD black authors you can find? I'm like, <laughs> you said what? that you said, <laughs> I, these are people that have contradictory opinions. So I'm not white splaining. I'm just giving you their opinions. And they're. <laughs> They're black PhD authors, okay? What do you want me to do about it? But they don't want that. You have to fit the narrative. And this is proof because what we keep hearing is that you have to have diversity and we have to uh, 
you know, we we have to have someone that represents the the views of America and all of the gender and race and ethnicity of America also. All right, so this is what Washington Post has to say. This much might be said about black Republican senator. I didn't know that was a new title they were giving people. Black Republican senator Tim Scott and newly elected female House Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren, Lauren Boebert, I think. Mm-hmm. They are living proof that neither racial nor gender diversity is a guarantor of progressive, inclusive, and broad-minded thinking. Diversity has its limits. <laughs> okay, so diversity is good unless, unless, exactly. unless what? It doesn't fit the woke narrative. <laughs> Scott was the first African-American since Reconstruction to represent a Southern state in the U.S. Senate. There's nothing in Trump's Republican Party that reflects even the slightest movement towards diversity of thought. The movement is all in the other direction, in fact. Okay, so no diversity of thought whatsoever. What so, constitutes diversity of thought? What they think, which is impressive because diversity of thought only includes what... They think. It's, sounds real diverse. It sounds yeah, so diverse yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I, that it sounds yeah. together. Yeah. Um, Scott, Green, Boebert, and most of their House and Senate Republican colleagues are collectively and unapologetically bound to a politically conservative theology that couldn't care less about societal woes, such as the wealth gap, voter suppression, and unequal justice. Quote. Here's a quote they wanted to throw in here. Everybody your color ain't your kind, and everybody your kind ain't your color. As Bishop Rudolph McKissick preached during his keynote speech in 2010, Remember Martin program, Kissick's observation was echoed by one of this week's Lenten meditations offered by the... No, meditations, it says. All right, here's another quote. Now, you got to bring in the Bible on this. She cited the biblical text, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And broke it down in the simpler terms. Don't judge a book by its cover. Now, this is really, really weird in 2021. And I try to figure out, I try to figure out what the general idea is. Because now we're, now we're hearing, don't judge a book by its cover. And we're, we're hearing that, um, we're hearing things like, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. But also, you know, all white people are racists and oppressors. Mm-hmm. Um, all black people are victims. All women have been held down in some kind of way. All right. I got my, in some kind of way in there. We dare not go only on the appearances of a Scott Green or Bobert. They ought not be judged solely by their race or gender. Consider their words and deeds. Instead of looking at the book's cover, look inside. Yes, our great strength is diversity but of a kind and quality needed to help form a more perfect union. I'm going to read that next to last paragraph one more time and just see if this is something that those on the left and make sure that you look at yourself too and, and all your people. Just see if this is something that holds true all the time. We dare not go only on the appearances of Scott Green or Bobert. They ought not be judged solely by their race or gender. Consider their words and deeds. Okay, this, for some reason, really drove me nuts with everything that we see going on around the country. It's a way out. It's, it's, you, I don't, you get called out in the hypocrisy. This, this, whoever wrote this article, I'm, I'm going to say, I'll say they, because I don't know. 
whoever wrote this article that has been thinking about all of the hypocrisy that they've been called out on. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh my God, this is like, I'm having anxiety because these people might be right. I don't understand what's going on. And they're like, ha ha, I figured out a way around it. I figured out how to put all these pieces. I, I did enough of the mental gymnastics now. I'm ready for the mental gymnastics They're Olympics. They're tired, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. It's the 2021, the mental gymnastics Olympics. This person's going for gold here. <laughs> all right. Because they figured out a way around the hypocrisy. They can explain it away. This is what you always see happen. This will keep getting worse and worse and worse as we keep going further and further and further into crazy land. That's, that's literally what it is. But I've talked about this for a long time. The left loves diversity until it doesn't fit their narrative. Mm-hmm. Until it doesn't fit with the agenda that, that they've been pushing this whole time. You know, how can they, they've been doing this with Candace Owens, mm-hmm. right? They've been denouncing her. Now, I disagree a lot with what Candace Owens says because she's definitely a, a Trumper. Yeah. She's, she's a lot more conservative than I am and wants to put things in the law I don't agree with. But she happens to be a black woman. Very articulate, smart, black woman. As Joe Biden would say. Or sorry, is it Joe Biden yeah. that said that? Yeah. She's just as smart and talented yeah. as poor kids. Yeah. All right? <laughs> so, and, and it's like, but they have to figure out a way to cancel people like that. Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams, you have to figure out a way to cancel people like that because they don't, they don't fit the majority of what we're talking about here. So we have to find a way to dismiss them. It's like what I was talking about last week, this undercover billionaire show. You have a billionaire black woman talking about how most people receive their wealth through, uh, through being white and men generational, and, and generational wealth. And it's like, well, how did you get there then? Is it except for her? It, it doesn't make any sense, yeah. <laughs> but it does make sense when you put it this way. That's, that's what they're going to do here. And it's like, I think diversity is our greatest strength. The fact that people look differently, act differently, have different ideas. All of those things. That is great. The problem is as much as they say they celebrate diversity, they don't, they're the furthest thing from diversity that you could possibly think of. They don't want diversity of thought, but they have diversity degrees. So right. that's, you know, and I don't, that count? So what, do I don't. Know? Yeah. what do I know yeah. about diversity? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's just that I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea that um, in this case, in this case, you cannot judge these people based on their race or gender. You have to look at their words and deeds. In this case. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. All right, everyone. Now, the last half of this podcast is going to be terrible, terrible quality. And I'm very sorry about that. Charlie's very sorry about Mm -hmm. that. All right. But if you want to listen to all the other great episodes, then just go, just scroll right down through there. This is episode 418 billion, something like this around there. Yeah. We've been around for a long time. Yeah. It's a lot of episodes. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's, it's quite a few episodes, you know? So take the 418 episode challenge, you know? And also when you listen through those, you're going to hear me talk to you about mastermysongs.com. Go to mastermysongs.com. If you're interested in making your stimmy, get you some more tendies. Okay. (laughs) Take your, take, turn the stimmy and the tendies. Okay. At mastermystonks.com, use the promo code save 20 to save 20% off your first two minutes. Mastermystonks, you say classic. I didn't know we were going to mention those. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't mention it. 
I won't no. mention anything about patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty because no. I care about our live group that doesn't want to hear these ads. No. So patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. That's where you would go if I was going to talk about it. Yeah. But since I'm not talking about it, you know, you'll have to find out. You would tell people that they could watch live and interact with us. That's what I would say. Yeah. If, if I was going to, if I was going to do it. And if they paid for the whole year. They would front. get a 15% yeah. discount yeah. if I were in yeah. an, in an, if this were an ad, if this, yeah. <laughs> that's what I would do. Yeah. I would tell them all about it. Yeah. But since it's not, then I, yeah. I can't tell you all about that. Um, so you're just gonna have to figure it out for yourself, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but please, if you enjoyed the show, which I know you did share it with a friend, share it with an enemy. <laughs> God, this live group's ridiculous. I don't know. Share it with a friend, <laughs> share it with an enemy. Leave us that rating and review on Apple podcast. And, uh, hope you guys have a good day and a good morning. Liberty. Liberty.